morning. Thank you, worship team. How exalting that was. And thank you, Sister Mary, for the beautiful program cover. Isn't it lovely? Nothing compares to the promises I have in you. Let's think about that for a minute while we go to our text. Our text today is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. But we just sang that song, Nothing Compares to the Promise I Have in You. Nothing compares. I'm certainly glad to be here today. While I normally don't try to preach to the calendar, I really felt like the Lord laid it upon my heart, this message to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. John chapter 12, 12 through 19. On the next day, the great multitude who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the multitude who were with him called and so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. The world has gone after him. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we seek your face. I ask that you would speak to us today, Lord, in the way that only you can speak to us, Lord, that your word would go forth and pierce our hearts, God. Lord, that we would be opened up before you so that there be nothing hidden, nothing that we can deceive ourselves with, Lord, nothing that we can cradle and, and cover, Lord. Holy Spirit, Touch us with that anointing that destroys the yokes, Lord. Touch us with the anointing that opens our ears to hear, that we might hear, Lord. And in hearing, we might understand, and in understanding, we might respond to you, Father. Oh, we give you glory and honor and praise because you are indeed worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise, all worship. For you are the Most High, and besides you is no other. We seek you, Lord, the source of all life, the source of all love, the source of all goodness and righteousness and power and peace. Speak to us this day, we ask humbly in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Hopefully the volume's okay. When I read this text, 
and I read the other text. You know, this account is noteworthy because it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And when I read this specific text, what jumped out at me was the phrase, Behold, your king is coming. And then immediately after that, his disciples did not understand. You know, as we examine the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the crowds crying out like our program cover so beautifully illustrates, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is worthy of all that praise. The Lord is worthy of all that worship. He's worthy for us to stop and consider who he is and what he has done for us. We could never praise him enough. We could never exalt him enough. We could spend every moment of every day in worshiping him intently, and it would still not bestow upon him the honor he deserves. You know, when we look at Jerusalem, when we look at Jesus entering Jerusalem, this triumphant in- entry, this recording of it, we realize that Christ is responding. What is he responding to? Signs foretold. We read it, right? Right there in verse 15 or verse 14. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And in Matthew 21.5 we read, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt cult, the fowl of a beast of burden. These are pointing to prophecies. These are calling forth prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 62, verses 10 and 11, it says, Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. And that's what they were, this is what they were referencing. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They realized salvation was coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Again, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we read another prophecy pointing to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There were the signs. The signs were written. The signs were given. And this is what Jesus was fulfilling. And that's the next point. We have signs foretold, and now we see signs fulfilled. In the recounting of it in Matthew 21, and verses 1 through 4, Jesus, and when they had approached Jerusalem, had come to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And in verse 4, Now this took place that 
what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. There's intention here. There's purpose here. Christ is not just doing this arbitrarily or haphazardly. He has determined because the word has determined because God foreordained this moment in time that Christ would enter into Jerusalem revealing himself as Messiah. But then that next phrase. We understand where behold your king is coming but then his disciples did not understand. And as I, as I looked at that, I wondered, is that, is that something I'm just bringing out? Is that something I'm going to place too much emphasis on? Or, or does it re- occur in the other accounts? And sure enough, it does in Matthew 21.10. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? Apparently, they did not understand. In Luke 19.39, And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Well, that's obvious. They did not understand. In John 12, verse 16, These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. They didn't understand. The multitude itself didn't understand what was going on. Even though they were crying out, Hosanna! Even though they were throwing their garments down, they still did not understand why they were doing this. In John chapter 12, 12 and 13, on the next day the great multitude who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. I really want us to get in our minds what's going on here. I don't want us to miss it because it's so familiar to us. It's Palm Sunday. It's lifting up the palms and declaring victory. We even sing songs after it, Palms of Victory. In John 12, 17 and 18, And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness. That just told us the multitude was there because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. For this cause also the multitude went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. How many times... Through the Gospels do we read instances that tell us that most of the people, most of the time, could not or would not fully grasp who Jesus was. Jesus says as much himself in Luke's account, in Luke 19. And when he had approached, he saw the city and wept over it. This is the same Entry now, the same entering into Jerusalem. And Jesus pauses when he sees Jerusalem and he weeps saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. 
It's not something I'm making up. It's not something I'm just building or constructing. It's right here in the Scripture. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Because they had failed to recognize who He was and why He came. And if that's the case, then the, the next logical question, at least in my logic, is what was it then that they did see? Why were they out there crying Hosanna? In our text in John, we read that the multitude went out to see Jesus because he had performed great miracles. This was a people that was under subjection. They were, they were occupied by a foreign enemy. They were, they were restricted in their ability to worship the way they wanted to worship, or at least the way they had come to think they ought to worship. They, they were taxed heavily. They had all these laws and restrictions put upon them, and they wanted desperately to be free. I think that's something we could begin to relate to here lately. And so using the text that we had mentioned from the Old Testament, the prophecies, the signs foretold, they interpreted them as, this is our king. He's coming, and he has power. He raised the dead. Surely he's going to deliver us from Rome. Surely he's going to set us free right now. Surely he's going to provide us with bread and food. Why? Because I saw him multiply bread and fishes. And at, even in those instances, Jesus said, you follow me because... I fed you. All these people were there crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, it's right there. Matthew, Hosanna to the son of David. Mark, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Luke, blessed is the king. John, Hosanna, even the king of Israel. This is what they had in their mind. Immediate, right now, we are going to be delivered in our flesh. We're going to be set free from Roman occupation. We're going to be fed. We're going to be cared for. The kingdom of David is going to be set up again. Right now. But you know, before we deal with that, I want to recognize that yes, certainly Christ is king. Certainly when he was coming in, he knew precisely what he was doing. And he was afforded the worship and praise he deserves. He told them, if they cease praising me, the rocks themselves will cry out. Because he does deserve to be uplifted. He does deserve to be worshipped. We ought to be before him, even now, thanking him and praising him and, and just bowing before him. Allowing him to rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. In everything we do, Christ ought to be preeminent. His will ought to be our desire. Our mission in this life is to witness the gospel. I've said that many times. Our mission in living this life is to witness the gospel. But our purpose in life is to worship and enjoy God. That's our purpose. The people crying out, Hosanna, son of David, the kingdom of David, the, the king, the king of Israel, it sounds great. And it sounds like they're right on point. 
And you might think, he's pressing this too far. What is he trying to say? In Psalm 118, 25 through 26, and some of your Bibles may actually point you to this in one of these accounts in the Gospels. Psalm 118, 25 through 26 reads, O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. This might sound familiar to you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. Do save, we beseech ye. The Hebrew there is Yasha Ana. Transliterated, Hosanna. Or, save us now. Or, we beg you, save us. Or, now, save us. With emphasis on the Ana being with emphasis on right now. Save us. That's where they got Hosanna. Yasha Ana, Hosanna. The entire time, saving is what Jesus was doing. He's bringing salvation to men. We can look back, right? We, we are afforded with hindsight and the Gospels and the New Testament. We can see that that's precisely what Christ was doing. But it wasn't an immediate physical deliverance. We can see it. They might have missed it. They might have misinterpreted it. But we can see it. And since we can see it, we rightfully worship God. And since we can see it, we rightfully cry out, Hosanna. But I want us to consider for a moment, when they misinterpreted it, when they came out, when they came out and in that great display and said, our king is come, our king is here, our deliverance is here, and they meant it as immediate physical deliverance, what did they lose? I mean, what are we going to come here for Friday evening to remember the crucifixion, the death? So here they are. Hosanna, Hosanna, our deliverance has come. No doubt telling each other, you know, whew, yeah, this is great, celebrating. This is great, our deliverance has come. We're getting ready to be set free. We're getting ready to be fed. We're getting ready to be, you know, lifted up to where we ought to be. And then Friday came. What happened? They had convinced themselves of something that Scripture wasn't telling them. Everything was going to be great. We're going to be freed from tyranny. And then Jesus is arrested, tried, crucified, and dies. And the thought that came to my mind is, imagine the field day the enemy had in their minds and in their hearts at that point. Imagine the grief and sorrow and confusion that went among the people at that point. If we set ourselves up, if we, if we look at something and we say, well, this is what it's saying, and we really don't take the full counsel of the Word of God, then we, we set ourselves up for disappointment. 
I thank God that he did not come, that Christ did not enter into Jerusalem to take and put the crown on his head and the robe and, and dispossess Rome. Why? Because what would we have missed? Prophecy upon prophecy, the Torah, the law, the Nephilim, the prophets, the Ketchavim, the writings, the entirety of the Tanakh, or our 39 books of the Old Testament, and still they could not understand the meaning of his arrival. In Luke 24, we read, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It's there. In Luke 24, 44, now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that bear witness of me. Jesus told them again and again, Read the scriptures, I'm there. That's why we're given them, so we could see Him, so we could know His coming, and we could know the reason for His coming. And you think, okay, well, that's all, that's all well and good, it's, but it's then. That's what the Old Testament was for. It was for them. He came, and now we can look back and we can see that it was a work of salvation of the soul. But we need to consider one thing. He's coming again. Right? We're in the same position they were. He's coming again. Think about all the signs foretold. We have them. Are we aware of what they are? Right now, if I if I pulled one of you aside, would you be able to tell me the signs of his next coming how about this if you can tell me those signs are you looking for them or maybe we would do well to consider the signs fulfilled do we know those are we paying attention I'm not trying to be you know comical or anything like that and I'm not trying to be heavy either. I'm not trying to weigh us down. I want us to come to, you know, this is Palm Sunday and next Sunday's Easter and it's a celebratory thing because we have hindsight and we know what he's done and we've experienced it in our lives. But I want to prepare us as well that we need to be realizing that he's coming again. Jesus came to us a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We're all familiar with that. And the world would like that to leave him right there because <laughs> he can't do any harm to him. And then we saw him come humbly, gently, sitting on a donkey as Messiah. But we know that he's coming again. I would have loved to have seen Jesus as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And I would have loved to have been standing on the hill watching him. That procession, just this man on a donkey going into Jerusalem. I mean, think about it, how contrary that is to the way we think. Our king needs to be majestic and with a long flowing train and, and knights in armor. But here, this man 
this humble man, this man, there was no beauty in him that we would even be attracted to him. Riding on a donkey and all the people going before him lifting palms of waving them, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But I don't know so much about what I read of his second coming. It's kind of scary to me. Truth be told, it's troubling to me. Even though I know, like we, we taught last Sunday, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm secure. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, and I have no worries about where my final destination will be. But I know I have family members and loved ones and friends and coworkers who aren't prepared. And so His second coming troubles me. In Revelation 19, we read, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. We know. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Okay, that's a king. But it goes on. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's not a babe in swaddling clothes. He's not some helpless infant. And again, he's not that humble man riding on a donkey saying, if you stop praising me, the rocks themselves will cry out. Here he is taking his rightful position as king of kings. You know, sometimes I think that perhaps we are at a disadvantage having been born in America and living in the land of the free and the home of the brave because we don't really realize what it means to stand before sovereignty to stand before majesty. I've heard it said, I've read where you're not even supposed to turn your back on them. You're supposed to back away looking at them. Because to turn your back on them would be an insult to them. That's that's how kings on this earth expect to be treated. How does this sovereign one expect to be treated? When Jesus entered Jerusalem fulfilling the prophecies revealing his rightful position as Messiah and Lord, he then went to the temple exercising his authority. See, this was surprising to them. He entered Jerusalem humble on the donkey fulfilling prophecy, but then he went to the house of God. Matthew 21, And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
first thing he did. Are we ready? They weren't. They weren't ready. Are we ready for his second coming? Are we ready? Are we making others ready? You know, we talk a lot about evangelism. We talk a lot about having people come into the church, come into the church. This is it. We need to warn them. The signs are all here. We saw that signs were given to them and that they were fulfilled. Well, we're given signs. In 2 Timothy, I realized this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Are we in difficult times? How about around the world? Men will be lovers of self. We live in the selfie age. Right? I've never seen it. It's amazing to me how people are, how unashamed they are. And everywhere you go, they're either looking at their phone or they're having their phone look at them. Huh? Lovers of self. Brother Bill's been giving us wonderful teaching in Sunday school on benevolence. I mean, I see so much of people just walking right on by. i got to take care of me first. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Do we even have to expound on that? Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. Do we not see these signs? We don't even have to go to the scriptures where Jesus tells us we're in the last days. Paul tells us we're in the last days. John tells us we're in the last days. Now all we got to do is look around and see we're in the last days. And this is not isolated. It's not small groups. It's actually become social norm. It's normative to be these things. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of age. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. That's the primary problem we have today. Deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. The signs were given in the Old Testament, and they had to take place, and they were fulfilled. So we can look at these and say, yeah, they're going to happen as well. These things must take place, but... That is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. 
And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. COVID shut down the churches. Now the churches are open. Where is everyone gone? Their love has grown cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Hosanna. We are saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world and for a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. I'm coming to a close here. I have heard many people postulate and pontificate on the many reasons why the verses I just read are really not applicable to our time. Come on. You guys have heard it as well, right? The moment you begin to speak about eschatological things, the moment you begin to say, oh, we're in the last days, people are, well, you know, not really. Let me tell you why. There may be somebody under the sound of my voice, whether here or on the Internet, thinking the same thing right now. And that's okay. Because the Bible tells us we'll have mockers and scoffers that will come. Second Peter says, This is, is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm reminding you, remember what has been written. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. And what he just said there was, the whole Bible, right? The law, the prophets, the writings, the gospels, the epistles. Know that, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. What are they saying? It's the same. It's We've always had evil. We've always had troubles. We've always had all those things. So where is he at? He's not coming. That's what the world and the enemy would tell you. But it's not so. And you know what? Jesus encountered the very same thing. To the Romans, it was it was not an out of the ordinary thing to deal with somebody who the Jews had called their Messiah, that he was coming to deliver them. It's the same thing now today. And if we're not careful, we won't be fulfilling our mission in pro providing people with the information and the warning they need to be prepared for the coming King. 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. 
on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless, blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. What are we supposed to do? Occupy till He comes? Yeah. But our occupation ought to be pointing people to Him. Living our lives as if we believe what it says. I'm looking for a new heaven. I'm looking for a new earth. I'm no longer a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's where my citizenry is. That's why I'm laying up treasure there. That's why there's a place being prepared for me there. That's why we can cry out, Hosanna. Why? Because we know He has brought salvation. He has brought salvation, the only salvation that truly matters. He has offered us salvation of the soul. He has offered us eternal life. He has brought to us like we learned last Sunday, a way that we can enter into fellowship with God through His blood. Jesus is coming. So I leave you today with these questions, which is the way the Lord often deals with me. and You guys are like, whoa. But here are the questions we ought to be asking ourselves. With the knowledge that our King is coming, are we expecting Him for the right reasons? Are we informing others? And are we ourselves ready? Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the precious promises in Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for how You show Yourself holy and wonderful and loving and kind. And we do appreciate Your patience because the longer You delay, the more opportunity for those to come. And we pray they come, Lord. Use each and every one of us here, Father, as Your ambassadors to proclaim the good news that our King is coming and there's a way that we can be in right relationship with Him. Oh, Lord, be magnified, exalted, and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.